0: Hello, this is the Hearsay Podcast. Welcome to episode 24. My guest for this one is my dear friend and sometimes bandmate, Ben Eli. My fourth Ben. That's like 16% of all Hearsays that have been Ben's. Wow. Uh, anyway, like Kwan, of course, I've known Ben forever and spent loads of time with him in tour vans, hotel rooms, airports and all that. And I was so excited to have him on and also surprised that there were loads of stories I hadn't heard before. It's so nice to have your friends on and learn a little bit more about where they came from and what made them the awesome human they are today. Uh, It was also interesting to hear Ben's perspective on things after interviewing Kwan for my first ever hearsay podcast. I have to admit, I tried to listen to the first one and it was tough. I sound super green. I'm so happy you guys have stuck with me. Um... Yeah, geez Louise, uh, <laughs> I'm obviously still learning how to navigate through interviews and I really appreciate all your lovely emails and messages of encouragement over the last six months or however long it's been. Um, Ben's strange show story was illustrated by the amazing Johnny Russell. I love this picture so much. Um, you can check out more of his work on Instagram at S-L-C-K-M-G-C-K, slick magic. Uh, you can, of course, see all the hearsay illustrations for every episode. My guest, Stranger's show experience, on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Enjoy episode twenty-four, Benjamin Elay. <music> Hey Ben. Hi Saya. How you going?
1: Yeah, really good, thanks.
0: That's good. You're the first person who's asked to hear the theme music before the interview well, to yeah, get you in the mood. I'm
1: a fan of the show I, and I like the music because um, <laughs> when you hear the music you know that you're going to hear stories. Uh, <laughs> I kind of you know, thought I wanted to get into the mood. Did it work? Oh yeah, I'm here. Great. I'm on your podcast. Woohoo. I'm actually physically here.
0: You are here at my house. Yeah. With all the synthesizers.
1: And the sweet potatoes. And
0: the sweet potatoes. Yeah. I showed you the most behemoth sweet That's potato right. of my life.
1: Gigantuan. Yeah, because
0: mm. we forgot that it existed and just left it in the garden and now it's as big as my head.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. It's a biggin'.
0: So I want to start off with asking you about your new dog, Michael.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, he's um, he's um he's an interesting guy. We didn't know what he was when we got him.
0: Where did you get him?
1: We just got him at the puppy shop. I've had a lot of um, pound dogs before, and I had they kind of a bit crazy. I know. I just kind of thought yeah. I wanted to get a little, a, fresh, a little dog,
0: a, a clean slate.
1: Yeah. One that didn't have a, a history. Yeah. Um, but he's cool. Um, I didn't know what he was though, but he, I think he's <laughs> a, like a miniature schnauzer, Maltese oh. fox terrier. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that's he's, a he's got a lot of energy and he'll go running in the bush with you, but he also like cuddle you and stuff. Oh.
0: Yeah, he's cool. That's perfect. Yeah. Does like he fit in the family well?
1: Yeah. He sits with me if I'm recording or, you know, doing art, he'll come and. Like I'd get up at five thirty, take him for a run, and then he'll kind of like just sleep at my feet all day. Oh, that's he's so good. Cute. He's a good guy.
0: I guess I should start the podcast with saying that I interviewed Kwan. He was my my first yeah. ever interviewee on this podcast, uh-huh. and we both know that memory isn't Kwan's strongest suit.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: So I'm interested to see how your stories differ. Okay. Um, not that I will be asking you the same questions, but it will sure, be interesting sure. to see, um, so, you know, perhaps some discrepancies in your stories.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the way it is with the world, you know, everyone, like, even if you meet an old friend from primary school and you remember a thing about school or something that happened at a gig you're at together or something, you know, you'll kind of remember certain little kind of fragments of that occasion and then they'll have a completely different spin on the same memory like you will both be in the same place but and that's quite a fascinating thing about memory is that it can be so fractured and different with everybody can't it yeah
0: i i just love that every like when i was playing (laughs) with you guys all the time every venue we went to kwan was like oh I've never been here before. And, and you're always like, like, we've played here eight times.
1: And I'm the guy who did all the drugs. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know why I remember all the things.
0: I just always love that. Yeah. Um, and it's so
1: always, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's in the middle of the show. He comes over going, with well, this panic look on his face. And I go, oh, this is how the song starts. <laughs> anyway, I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, so, but before Regurgitator started, I'd yeah. like to ask you, do you remember the kind of music that first got you interested in wanting to play yourself?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I kind of grew up in the Redlands on the outs- like outer suburbs of Brisbane, and um, we had Rage, which was great, you know. So, and at the time in the 80s, like I was kind of a teenager throughout the whole 80s. So, there was kind of different factions in our high school, there was kind of the metalheads with the big poodle hair. And then there was like the punk kids and the goth kids who hung out on the oval and smoked ciggies. And there was kind of all different factions of kids. And I kind of was friends with the punk kids, but I was kind of just friends with these kind of goofy nerd sort of guys. And, uh, but I think, you know, watch rage. I was kind of more drawn to the metal kind of side of things. I used to love Metallica and Iron Maiden and, um, yeah, I guess that's what I liked so that when in I the, was a teenager.
0: Was that in the time of hair metal?
1: Yeah, it was in the time of hair metal. I wasn't so into – I was kind of into a bit of Motley Crue. Yeah. And <laughs> like I wasn't so into Poison. And, uh, no. I was into like, you know, Motorhead and yeah. Metallica and Guns Iron Roses. Maiden. I love Guns N' Roses too, yeah. yeah. You mm.
0: know, I just recently, speaking of Guns N' Roses, um, I just started listening to Duff's audio book. Oh. But he doesn't narrate it. I don't actually know. I think it's imp- probably some incredibly famous guy that's oh, yeah, narrating I it. Yeah, read that book. Yeah. But um, yeah. But the way that he narrates is it's so funny. He, yeah. he kind of goes like, you know, and I, I'd taken so many drugs I couldn't remember my own name, <laughs> like that yeah. kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: pretty, yeah. Um,
0: but it's really it's taken me back to liking that kind of hair metal music myself back then.
1: Yeah, it was kind of uh, pretty showy, but also then. I think it was when I was eighteen. I just kind of was able to drink, and then I went to you know my first punk show, which is the Insane Hombres at the St Paul's Tavern in up in um uh, Spring Petrie Terrace in Brisbane, and that was that's when things really shifted in my brain because it was you know this all inclusion of the band and then there's the crowd and the crowd was kind of just as part of the show as the band was. Yeah. And it wasn't like going to Festival Hall and seeing a band. There's no kind of barrier and all the kids are jumping on stage and stage diving. And I mean I remember it being quite aggressive and violent, but I still remember it being really exciting and then sort of um kind of loved hanging out with those guys more. Yeah. After that. And
0: so did you you didn't want did you play an instrument before you saw that punk band play?
1: I think I was just you know, just mucking around not really doing much yeah. yeah yeah
0: so what made you want to pick up the bass
1: um i was playing kind of guitar a little bit um badly and then <laughs> this friend of mine played in a band called the walking dead and they used to get gigs at this punk venue uh um that's that's the love and rocket strip bar now oh, yeah. that's a few doors up from the zoo and that used to be a venue called the outpost which was the punk rock venue in um in Brisbane and that's and then my friend who was in grade twelve played in this band called The Walking Dead and they used to go and get gigs there.
0: Right. And
1: he'd bring the time off newspaper to school and show us the gig guide with the Walking Dead playing, you know, Friday night and yeah. we're just going, What? How did you do this? <laughs> you got your friends that you met at lunch and say, What do you want to do? I'll play guitar, you play bass and and yeah. they just got their friends together and all of a sudden they found themselves, you know, playing this venue and they're in the paper. That was kind of really exciting and we were really excited for them. And then their bass player left and the guitarist said, hey, do you want to come and play in our band? And I was like, I don't know if I want to play bass. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, you like Gene Simmons, you know, he spits blood <laughs> and breathes fire. So, <laughs> you know. It's a good thing you could, you know, you you can still be creative if you play the bass. I went, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'll
0: just get myself (laughs) some pyro, strap it to my
1: bass, get some fake blood, spit it out (laughs) on the crowd. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I started playing with those guys, but they changed their name. Um, yeah and the singer from Razor played drums in that band. All oh, right. The Wild Cards was the first band. It was kind of like a psychobilly kind of band. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you were still in high school when you joined that band?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I just left high school, yeah. Okay.
0: And then so at that point were you did you want to play bass well? Like cuz <laughs> because not not that sounded weird. But I remember, I remember you. Firstly, you know when I was in high school, you were playing in this band called Pangaea, yeah. and they were incredibly complicated, yeah, and, and very like, um, yeah, just really complicated time signatures. Yeah, it was very um, precise.
1: Yeah. Well, that came from um, I was I remember well Dave Atkins, the drummer from that band. Yeah, he's an incredible producer and, and probably the best drummer. Around, he's yeah. really incredible drummer, and I remember seeing him when he was five years old in grade one or prep at Ormiston Primary School. I remember his brother was on the side of the road with a piece of kitchen linoleum, break dancing, and he was <laughs> playing drums
0: when he was five.
1: Like doing break beats on drums when he was five, and I was I remember riding my BMX past him, going, "Oh my god." That kid could (laughs) really fucking play the drums. And he always could just do it. That's amazing. And so by the time he was, you know, 13, 14, he was studying with Bruce who owned Kent Records in the city at the time. And um, he was like this incredible jazz nerd. And so Dave was going to lessons with him and learning like this intense theory stuff. And then he became friends with Jim who was in Pangaea and he was an incredible guitarist too – but he, uh, they were both going to this guy for lessons and learning all of these, like all of the modes and all these really, really kind of complicated time signatures and mm. stuff. Um, Who was and, this guy? <laughs> you know, when I was trying to work out the bass line for Sweet Child of Mine, <laughs> <laughs> like I was just totally retarded on the bass guitar. So it wasn't until I met. Those guys, I think we are kind of jamming at school and I think I when I started playing it was terrible for five years and until I kind of hung out with Jim and Dave and I don't know, they showed me a lot. And, and
0: how did you meet those guys?
1: Just through school, just through okay. school and I mean they were younger than me but um, I think I was just drawn to them because they were really incredible players, yeah. yeah.
0: And so they'd been going to this jazz dude.
1: Yeah, they've been going to Bruce for um, like having these secret little sessions, like learning – it's like learning the dark arts of prog rock, (laughs) (laughs) which they were doing. Yeah. So did you
0: ever get lessons?
1: No, I didn't get ever get lessons, but I would learn stuff from them.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And the whole Pangaea thing came from that um, Pangaea Miles Davis album, which is really, really Uh. heavy and weird time signatures and, you know, really odd playing, yeah
0: so how how many years did you play in that band?
1: um uh, we played for a long time, yeah, off and on probably for that was a really exciting time, I think because i mean i i did i did l s d for the first time, <laughs> and I remember going with
0: those dudes.
1: I was kind of by myself, ah. and then I kind of went oh, wow, you know, there's this kind of limitless possibility in the world. Like you can really just tap into anything and make anything possible. And then I was kind of doing it with the guitarist and then we're trying to come up with just the most far out uh, things we could. So, I mean, that's... Musically. Yeah, and that's how that came from yeah, right. doing LSD and, and trying to write odd times things. <laughs> I remember sitting on the back veranda at his house in Fairfield, you know, we had delay units set up with our amps on the veranda. And we set up with like, you know, a Persian carpet and then we dropped acid and then we were kind of out there with these delay units trying to write in 13 over 6.5 or something Jesus. And then the couple The couples in the next door neighbouring houses Would come out Watering their gardens Looking up at us going What the hell is that sound? Those guys sound really strange
0: Did you have a, a bad trip at that point?
1: Yeah, I had one Where I thought I was Jesus for a while oh, And no. then I thought And then the And then the the palm trees were dripping with blood oh, no. at three o'clock There's in the morning. There's
0: something dripping with blood, isn't there?
1: <laughs> yeah, but when the sun comes up, it's always nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's like yeah. <laughs> if it's dripping with blood, you know you're having a good time.
0: <laughs> so um, so at what point do you did you meet Quan?
1: Oh my met? god, yeah. See that was that was a really exciting time for me.
0: So Quan, just to recap, I think his story went that he he didn't really say where you met, but he said the first thing he noticed about you was that you're very good looking.
1: Oh, that's very nice of him. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'm very good looking, but I saw. I remember first time I saw Quan. Actually, I thought he was good looking <laughs> because he. We were downstairs so nice. at Boulder Lodge. It was in the old Chinese laundry in the valley, yeah. and then it moved to a little venue on the mall. But it was a basement venue. And um, I think it was a Wednesday night and his band Zoo Rasty was playing and I think I was just in the valley and I thought, oh, I'll go and see what's on there.
0: Yeah.
1: And I went downstairs and there's this kind of, the guy in the band I was drawn to was the guitarist because he was wearing women's hot pants <laughs> with a midriff top and Doc Martin boots, you know, was with his Kwan? glasses. Yeah, Quan was. <laughs> and he's kind of like slapping his guitar <laughs> in this crazy way. with. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> he looks amazing. And I thought to myself, if I could be in a band with that guy, it would be great because look <laughs> at him. He looks so so great. And then I kind of, I think I was kind of seeing his uh, his, his, singer in his band, Vic. I was kind of hanging out with her a bit. And yeah. um, we were in, uh, in Paddington and she said, oh, you know. Uh, actually, no, no, the first time I actually met him, was that a full moon party at Krishna's? Did he tell you that?
0: I he didn't say this on the podcast, but I think I've heard the story in
1: <clears throat> yeah another
0: time. Yeah, well, I but met please him. Please tell it.
1: Yeah, I met him at this um, full moon party at Krishna's house up in the rainforest in Mapleton. And um, every full moon, he, this guy would throw these hippie parties with yes. big bonfires, and feral punks and stuff would go. <laughs> and he had a, a kind of stage that was just a jam stage with gear set up. And I had some magic mushrooms and I was on the stage, you know, with the bass plugged through a delay pedal, just going, oh, this is so great. And the guy – and then Quan walked up and started playing drums. I was like, oh, there's a guy with the girl's hot pants. And then uh, we had this really great moment together. Like we actually never spoke, but we kind of – you know, with music you can kind of communicate with each other. It's a weird form of communicating without using English. And so we kind of had a chat that way and it was really cool. And then I think we, I think he needed to do a pee and he was drunk, which is probably the second time in his life he'd ever been drunk. And we wandered into the forest. Probably the second last time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, it's a full moon. We're wandering around this, you know, beautiful green rainforest in the moonlight and he, you know, and I'm doing a wee and I'm (laughs) tripping off my head. And he picks a leaf off the tree and he goes, mm, they're so smooth. And then he rubs the leaf on his cheek. I was like, What what is what is that guy doing? Why is he rubbing the leaf on his cheek? <laughs> yeah. But I and never you were,
0: and you never looked back.
1: I know I didn't and then I didn't see him for months. Oh, and then
0: You didn't exchange numbers. This sounds no, like no, a really beautifully romantic.
1: Time. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but we see he didn't have Social media. We yeah. didn't really have phones. You just run into people randomly. Yeah. And so I think I just ran into him randomly because a friend knew Quan's mum, and we went to see Quan's mum. Yeah. And then was I just she heard already this.
0: That she already had the restaurant. Was she no, already... it was just okay. this
1: just no, this was before that, and we went around to her house, and we we're upstairs at, at the Cooper's Camp Road yeah. house, and then I heard this sound, and I was like, "Oh, what's that noise?" And I went downstairs and saw Quan. Ah. cause he had a four track downstairs and he would play the drums and play the drums out on a track and then play bass and play guitar and construct songs just from in that way Yeah right Yeah so a lot of um a lot of the recordings demos and stuff were done that way Yeah and mm. so
0: you how did you how did you bring up that you wanted to be in a band together
1: Hmm I think yeah cuz he lived fairly close to where I lived I lived in a house that was next door to the guitar shop that was an old brothel.
0: Oh, yeah, in on that main road.
1: Yeah, in, uh, in Paddington. Oh, Paddington, yeah. Yeah, at the guitar shop there. And then he lived just up around the corner, so I was like, you know, do you want to have a jam sometime? And I'd go around and we would kind of just muck around and we kind of thought, oh, we should do a band. And then I was kind of playing in that band Brasilia with Martin Lee and Simon Gardner. And then they kicked me out. I heard later that they said that I smelt really bad because (laughs) I was kind of like, you know, I was just really, I was just this bad kind of feral, crusty punk guy living in a share house, not showering, eating three minute noodles, drinking VB all day. Just, you know, and I was kind of pretty, I was a pretty loose guy. Yeah. And. You know, that turned them off, but also my playing, I wasn't very precise. I was kind of, you know, goofing You're still off. Still getting there. So they kicked me out. Yeah, I'm still trying oh. to work out how to play. <laughs> and then um, yeah, and so so they kicked me out, but then those guys broke up. But uh-huh. Martin, who was in that band, yeah. Is a really he's a really lovely guy. I really liked him and yeah. he could play drums really well.
0: Great groove.
1: Yeah, and a really good punk rock drummer. Yeah. And um and so, yeah, and then I met him in a nightclub a few days after I started jamming with Kwan and I, and he said that he was looking to be in a band. And that yeah. was just that magic moment where I, I got goosebumps and thought, oh, wow, if I could get him and Martin, uh, Kwan and Martin together,
0: yeah,
1: it would be really cool because they're both pretty interesting people. I think yeah. as far as characters go, they're um, – they're very interesting um human beings.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think they're both quirky. And I think that's kind of what broke our band as well. Is yeah. the fact that they're both very different people, but both very fascinating and Yeah, uh, it
0: made it special, but it also caused complications. Yeah, it did, yeah. So were you play you were playing in Pangaea the same time that Regurgitator was starting, is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just kind of did it as a side thing, yeah.
0: And, and Pangaea were, <clears throat> were sort of building up a bit of momentum. Is that right to say that?
1: We were. I mean, we're touring. We tour with the baby animals, if you could say that's <laughs> momentum. <But, laughs> that's uh, pretty cool at the time, I guess. Yeah, in
0: 1980, like 19,
1: 1991 or something, it was pretty yeah. good, I guess, but... Um,
0: um, so the story that Kwan told was that, or well, I think I think the story that I sort of fed to him uh, that I've heard from other people is that uh, P- Pangaea and Regurgitator were on the same cassette on different sides that yeah. was given to a record label, That's and right. Regurgitator got picked up and Pangaea didn't.
1: That's right. Yeah, they liked those songs. Yeah. yeah. And That's did, true.
0: did that cause friction within the band?
1: It did. Like I try, I wanted both to keep going. Yeah. But it was a bit tricky at the time, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a soft point for me to talk about that. I just, yeah, it was a little bit a bit hard for me. I think what it came down for me was that I didn't really have confidence in myself yeah, about, you know, being the front man by myself. You know, I was kind of like the singer and the guy out the front singing the songs. So I yeah. kind of felt a little bit... Um, yeah, I just didn't have the confidence and felt really embarrassed actually Aww. about being that kind of guy and I just thought with Quan it was it was easy for me because we can share the load yeah you know he can he he I I, li- I really liked his songs as yeah. well and I had faith in what he was doing and then I could probably lean on him a bit more and I felt like I could you know rely on him more yeah and it just kind of um it helped yeah, yeah. I, d- I didn't feel like I had the confidence to go all the way by myself, yeah, because was a bit of a you know
0: um, so let's talk about the start of regurgitator, yeah, um what was your first show? do you remember your first show
1: yeah, was it uh, yeah, 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 it was amnesty um amnesty international gig uh-huh. at the park is it Albert Park. Uh, in Petrie Terrace. Yeah. That one on the corner. It's got like the amphitheater outside. Yeah,
0: yeah, where Market Day used to be. Inside. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we played there and we only had three songs, but I think we played them all <laughs> three times. <laughs> 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 we played for. And I remember our drummer, he had this D4 drum sampling like trigger pad oh, cool. that had like breaking glass and a dog barking <laughs> on it. So we'd be playing <laughs> like, <"Ruff!"> <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> that sounds awesome, but it was fun, and I, I think someone from Triple Z was there and they saw us and went, "Oh, that was pretty good. You guys want to play Market Day next week and then oh. and then we sort of played Market Day the next week, and then we just sort of kept playing. yeah. yeah.
0: I um I listened to the first two EPs today. Oh, I haven't listened to them in a really long time. They're so strange. It's but so in weird. The, <laughs> it's so weird. They're so good though, and it, it reminded me of all the reasons why I loved music back then. Because I think that was when my eyes started opening towards alternative music. You know, like I loved Beck, and I like lo- you know, like and it sounds in that similar vein, like lo-fi recording. You know, yeah. bizarro kind of yeah. um, genre changes.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, so good.
1: Well, it was funny for us because I mean, we but we all of all of us came out of these kind of technical kind of prog uh intense referama bands yeah. and we kind of I think, you know, it's exhausting and it takes a lot of energy and you know, mind power to get through a set of doing that stuff. Yeah. It, you feel I feel a bit exhausted. And drained emotionally after doing that and um, but I wasn't listening to that kind of stuff to be honest I was loving you know the Beastie Boys and Sonic Youth and Helmet and uh, you know Beck and I was loving all that stuff and I I, I was really loving you know like and hip-hop as well and Cypress Hill and Public Enemy and all that kind of stuff and and so I think we we wanted to I wanted to simplify all that stuff and have more fun and less kind of, yeah, crazy jazz kind of rock stuff yeah. going on. So I think that's what our intention was, but it was just going to be a side project fun thing. But but we all wanted to do like a, a hip-hop kind of thing, but make it alternative kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's It was really cool. I was listening to lyrics today of um, Couldn't Do It. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty um, fun.
0: And it is exactly like that stuff that I love so much at the time. And I, I remember, um, you know, speaking of rage, which you mentioned before, I remember taping that song or that video clip on Rage. I had yeah. like a v- VCR set on like record and tape, and then I just press pause, and it would record like all my favorite. Oh yeah, 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 I used to do that. And that me. was that was one of the songs that was on one of my videos. Yeah. Um, and I yeah I loved it was like in the same vein as like loser and and you know all the these like interesting. Kind of um, disjointed ideas in yeah. songs.
1: It was a fun, fun time for music. I'm, yeah. I'm still pretty fond of all that stuff. Like yeah. I, I do, I do love all that kind of music. I think it's good. Yeah, and I think Martin was really uh, kind of he brought a lot of technology and he brought samplers yeah. to recordings, and we all kind of uh, enjoyed that sort of sound. It yeah, was, yeah, it was pretty fun.
0: Well, I guess all three of you are all incredibly still are incredibly musical people like i think i don't know martin that well but i know you and kwan can can pick up pretty much any instrument and play like you can both play drums you can both play guitar you can both play bass you can pretty good at keyboard you know like all of you can do everything so that must have been like a bit of an advantage back then too
1: Yeah, I mean, we used to love. um, I remember we used to open with the sitar, and you know, (laughs) Quan actually had a sitar, and his dad got him sitar lessons from a proper like Indian sitar teacher. And we used to, you know, do this extended jam, and then we had this chong day, which was a a string Vietnamese string gong, and we used to love kind of and had an Indian reed kind of snake charming flute. Yeah, right. We play hip hop beats and. (laughs) No, <laughs> You know, do these weird things with it And went, oh my God, yeah, this is You know, run everything through distortion <laughs> But I mean, it was really exciting time for us You know, because we were touring And we weren't making that much money But we'd be in Melbourne, you know, quite a lot on tour We used to drive up and down the coast all the time And I remember the first time we heard ourselves on the radio We were in a secondhand clothes shop oh. Looking for, you know, clothes with Kwan And you hear that song come on the radio Like couldn't do a camera And we both looked at each other and Freaked out and ran out of the shop. <laughs> Went, oh my God, we're on the radio, but I can't listen to it. Aww. It was a pretty exciting time. And, yeah. you know, they had the alternative charts back then. And um, I think us and Magic Dirt, I think it was Ice. Yeah. That, um, their, their EP and our EP was in the top 10 for like a whole year and a half or so. Wow. Something. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So it was pretty exciting for us. Yeah. Like just, you know, I guess being in the alternative charts and... Yeah, playing and even though we didn't have any money, but it was still pretty fun.
0: <laughs> were you guys on the doll?
1: Yeah, we're on the doll. I remember us all like being at Quan's house having a rehearsal, and we had a break and went down into the park. And we're on the kids' swing set, saying, "Oh, you know, it'd be really great if we could, you know, if we could just get off the doll, <laughs> then our lives would be all right because you know we don't have to go to the <laughs> centrelink every two weeks <laughs> and in the form." That was our goal, just to get off oh, the doll. If we could just get it. off the doll, we'll be all right. Yeah.
0: So when did you get off the doll?
1: Uh, I think it took a while. I think it took a while. I think it wasn't <laughs> until our first record came out. Yeah. And we um, went to Bangkok and recorded our first record to playing and came back. I remember while we were in Bangkok, yeah, our, our um, A&R guy from our record company called us up and said, do you want two of the chili peppers? And then... We came back and I think it was probably after around that time. Yeah. Maybe.
0: Started earning some cash.
1: Getting some cash at least. Yeah. Yeah, a, mi- a minor, meager wage.
0: <laughs> I remember my first memory of seeing you guys play was that free gig you did in King George Square.
1: That was, I think that was probably our best gig ever. Really? Yeah.
0: Tell tell me what happened because I remember Cause it, it was, being insanely crowded.
1: It was so fun. I can't even remember when it was, but I remember that it was the save the ABC rally.
0: Yeah, I was and, in high school.
1: Yeah, and John Howard had just got into power. He'd just become prime minister. Yeah. And he just took a machete to the ABC funding. That's right. And just went, he kind of just basically crippled it. And was, ABC was about to collapse in a pile of, you know, balsa wood or something. And then everyone was just pissed. Yeah. And then I think they asked, they were doing a rally in each city or they're doing a, you know, a protest gig. And then they said, do you want to do a gig? And we said, of course, of course. And we we're playing recovery and, you know, Triple yeah. J was supporting us. And it was us and bananas and pajamas. That's right. At King George Square. <laughs> And so we just turned up there and we're watching Bananas in Pyjamas. There's only a couple hundred people there. And then and then we just before we played all these people turned up. And the streets on either side of King George Square got all the traffic got shut off. Yeah. I think and then
0: Definitely on Adelaide Street. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and then the stage was a small stage and it didn't have the proper crash barrier you would have now. It just had that little fencing so the kids just went nuts and there were they picked up the fence and just handed it oh away and threw it into the bushes. <laughs> and then they were pushing the stage and the whole stage was getting moved back towards the clock tower. Oh no. And then the whole stage got surrounded by the cops. And then I was standing on stage playing, and there's eight policemen kind of surrounding me while we're playing this song. We'd only done three songs and the whole crowd was going mental. And then and then I think it was the mayor's assistant, although no, the like the head of police was there, and he said, you have to stop, you know, you have to stop this right now. Yeah. And I said, we can't stop. If we stop this, there's going to be, you know, it'll be worse. It'll be a riot. And then I remember saying to him, we'll just play one more and it'll be a, a quiet one. Yeah, and then and then and they said, "Hey, can we play track one?" Because you know, track one starts out really starts like quiet, quiet, you know, yeah. and then it and then it kicks into the dun, guitar dun, riff, dun, and dun. then Quad's <laughs> riff kicks in, and then I look at all the cops and I just give them the finger and go, <laughs> ha, ha, <laughs> give them this like Satan face, and <laughs> they uh, because I had a lot of history with the police because um. I got framed when I was in grade 12 Did for, you? A, for a crime I didn't do and I, I nearly got put in jail for what? it. What? Yeah. What happened? Uh, <clears throat> I used to play in a jazz trumpet in high school. Yeah. And the kid, this kid who played jazz trumpet, he and I were both first jazz trumpets and we were both the best trumpet players in our school and his dad owned a second hand, like a pawn shop at Kapalaba. Yeah. And so... What turned out in the end is that this kid was stealing all this stuff and then writing it off in the books at the pawn shop and oh. saying that it was me <gasps> and my friends. And so the cops all came and, like, said, you know, you've been doing all this stuff, like, stealing and, f- like, frauding all of this stolen gear oh from goodness. all these break and enters and stuff like that. And I just said, no way, I haven't done that. Yeah. And I went through the... And went, and then they came to my work, and they beat me up at my workplace. The
0: police did. Yeah,
1: and they took my mate to the um, police station, and they beat him up with a phone book. Oh my god. And they said you got to confess to this, and we were like, we didn't do this. And then we went to the to the local courthouse. This is in grade twelve when you're trying to get through your, you know, yeah. last year of school, and then. <clears throat> Throughout to the local courts, and we're like long haired looking heavy metal kids, sure. And they're just like, they don't buy it. And so, and so, um, it goes through that, and the court's like, yep, they're guilty, even though we proved that we weren't there, yeah, at the time that these robberies happened. And then, uh, it went to the big court system, uh, the big high justice court. System, high yeah. court in George Street, and then we had a glass, kind of like armored, like, uh. A, room, a booth that was like a bulletproof booth with like sh- guards with shotguns and they picked out a jury and everything. Like this was getting really nice. serious. Well, like How old
0: were you? I was
1: like 17, 18, like just old enough to go to jail. Oh. Yeah. And I could have, like they were saying I could possibly go to jail for a bit for this. And then <clears throat> I hadn't done it and then yeah. my mum had kind of got a really good lawyer And my mum, thank God, was really meticulous with everything and she really studied everything and went through all of the details of the trial. Like it wasn't the lawyer but my mum who actually saved my ass. And she found that this kid, she proved that he'd been arrested for breaking inners, this kid who framed me, and he'd been arrested for... Stealing money from honesty boxes in churches, oh. and all this stuff, you know. Jeez. And so we kind of proved basically that this kid had done it. Yeah. But this dirty detective, Damien Rocket. Do you remember who, his name? Yeah, who framed us? Wouldn't buy it, and so I remember going to lunch when they'd pick the jury, and they said we're going to come back in, and the trial's going to commence. You know, yeah. and I remember it being at lunch, just shaking and not being able to pick oh up my fork, no. and sitting there with my family, like, "Am I going to go to jail?"
0: Jesus Christ!
1: But this dragged out for two years, and my mum passed away a couple of years ago, yeah. and I, f- and she still, I have at home, all of the documentation of the trial is in all these manila wow. folders that stacks that high.
0: Have you looked through it?
1: I'm going to at some stage. I'm yeah. a bit scared about yeah. it. Yeah. And so they picked out the jury and we came back from lunch and then the judge said he pulled the detectives out of the gallery and said, I can't believe that this case has gone on this long. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he um, he said, look, it's obvious, you know, they've proven to you, they've given you the documentation of what the truth is in this case that this kid is obviously guilty of the robberies. Yeah and so the judge sent the detective out into the middle of the desert in the northern territory as punishment or something what for it. and then we got off and i just remember that being quite is happy
0: bizarre
1: but i think that's what kind of it kind of did something to my brain that whole thing yes yeah, so it kind it of would. made me spiral out of control and made me kind of get a bit wild and crazy with drugs and play in like punk bands and go a bit nuts because i couldn't really deal with all of that stuff
0: and i suppose it would have been a giant anti-authoritarian kind of
1: yeah and that's the thing with the king george square thing with the cops around yeah like i've always had a thing with them and um yeah my house has been was raided a lot and wow. you know I mean, in brisbane at that time if you sure. if you had a blue mo- mohawk the cops yeah. would pull you over <laughs> and search you all the time anyway yeah. but But you finally
0: got a fuck you moment.
1: That was my favorite. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think that was one of my (laughs) my favorite because I got a good fuck you moment to the police. So I remember
0: that show as being wild and also I remember you having to stop playing a few times in the middle of songs because the kids were just bum rushing the stage and
1: the whole thing was moving. The whole thing was
0: moving, yeah.
1: But, yeah, I've got a very different attitude to the police now. I think the police are actually really great at what they do and I think that, you know, it's a... They do a service that is valuable. Sure. But when you're young, you can get picked on, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, that was a really different time in Brisbane.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Wow. I did not know that story.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it really (laughs) kind of messed me up.
0: Um, Yeah. So I suppose with Regurgitator, it's always, as far as I've known you guys, it's always Mm. been a very family type vibe in the band. Yeah. Also with with your manager Paul Curtis.
1: Yeah, love him. Everyone is yeah.
0: is almost like a like a family. Yeah,
1: we've been together for so long. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Has it always been like that with you guys? No,
1: it hasn't. I think we probably got to that point um, maybe in the last mm, ten years, probably. Yeah. I think, I think, I think it, when you're touring a lot and you're around each other all the time, and um, I think you don't appreciate it because you're around it all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but when you have some space away, have a lot of time away, then you go kind of, and you see each other and you kind of – but, you know, you have those friends in life that you've known since, you know, early primary school or something. Yeah. Can, I don't know, just having a connection with someone over a long period of time. Yeah. You – um, I don't know, you can feel quite safe and um, have a good relationship with them because yeah. of the time that – the times that you've been through.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Did you did you ever feel like a family vibe with Martin, or did he he happen to leave before that? Sort I think of it was
1: before all of that stuff. He was, um, yeah, Martin was. He was a he was a, he was a fantastic guy, and I think all of our all of our ethics and a lot of our ideas came from him. Yeah, he is responsible for a lot. Like he was a very savvy businessman. Yeah, he was the guy who you know, say, okay, if we're going to do this record deal, we're going to take a short, a really small amount of cash. We're going to get the cash. We're going to buy our own gear to start our own studio. Mm. We're going to record everything ourselves, you know, DIY. We're going to do it all and then um, own all the gear. And if we don't sell any records, we've got some gear. Yeah. You know, we're we're not going to listen to them and spend, you know, $300,000 Three hundred thousand dollars in LA doing an album—that's just stupid. Yeah, you know, and then his whole idea with technology and, um, yeah, he had a lot of good ideas.
0: Yeah, Kwan said he was a, he was the businessman of the. Band. He was clever. Yeah, um, and I suppose Paul Curtis and him had some differences in the end. Yeah, so was, did you always feel like you were sort of in? Because it sounds like to me you've you've only ever spoken highly of Martin to me. Yeah, did you feel like you were sort of in the middle of all of that? I definitely was because yeah. I mean I liked
1: those guys both equally. Yeah, I think I was probably a bit d- diplomatic about it. But see, like I mean, I would go out with Martin, and yeah. you know, I mean, I would go out to a cl- strip club with him in 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 uh, in Bangkok in Thailand, yeah. and and you know, do drugs with him, I would, uh, but with Quan, I would, I'd be happy to hang out and read yeah, poetry in the, in the, in the, in the park.
0: <laughs> I love that that's so, the difference. Or,
1: you know, I would, I would, I, I'm happy to do both those things. I can't do both <laughs> of those things all the time. No. No. It's too you're boring. very much
0: in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm happy to do all that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I was kind of, uh, yeah, I was kind of friends with both those guys. I mean, I brought them together. Yeah, actually. you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So was that really hard for you then when when cracks started forming? Yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: yeah, I kind of wanted everyone. Come on, guys. Just everyone, just Come get on. along. Just lo- just just love each other. So. Oh. Yeah, so it was a bit tricky. Yeah,
0: how did you yeah. deal with it emotionally?
1: Ah, I don't think I really did at that time. I think at that time I was pretty bad. I think yeah. I probably hit some pretty bad lows. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about nineties nostalgia. Okay. And how I guess it's different with Regurgitator, you never really had a break up in that band. Like you've you've kept going. The whole twenty five years or however long it's been, yeah, Um, with a few gaps of you know, like yeah. s- some breaks, but but you've never like had a, the band's breaking up and then reforming. Yeah, Climbans. we've had
1: some times just amongst ourselves, yeah, where, where <laughs> Quan's like, "That's it, can't take it. We're breaking <laughs> up." And me and Paul will go, "Hang on, just like let's just." <laughs> Let's just have a break for a while yeah. and not say anything. Let's <laughs> keep it quiet, and then a couple. So you've of, never had, and then public. a year, yeah, not public breaks. <laughs> We've had a lot of private breaks, private meltdowns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: So, what do you? How do you feel about the '90s nostalgia thing coming back now?
1: I look. I think I look back on that time and just go, "Wow." I mean, it was it was pretty exciting. Yes. There was a few contributing factors that I thought really uh, kind of assisted many weirdos in the world to feel like they had a place. Things like The Big Day Out, things like Recovery, things like Triple J. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people were pretty pretty kind of uh, felt like they were on the outside. I mean, this is coming out of post the 80s with the whole kind of Reagan era kind of nuclear, you know, Holocaust kind of fears that Mm. you know i think that was a real thing in the 80s people were like wow these superpowers have these missiles that can just destroy the whole planet and Mm. so a lot of people that i know from the 80s you know listened to the dead kennedys and stuff and kind of felt yeah had this really kind of bleak vision of the future so everyone was just kind of like what who cares Mm. let's just make horrible noise and and get wasted and kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't really kind of – but I think the 90s was a really kind of exciting time because there was a lot of really great rock bands around and um, a lot of people were given the opportunity to kind of uh, make a way playing music, which was um, a bit of a luxury really. Yeah. I mean, to get on a festival like Big Day Out and play and get, you know – paid enough money to yeah. you know survive for the next year or yeah. half half a year and
0: get some free hash cookies <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. I think that you know I think it was um pretty exciting Yeah. It was a pretty exciting time.
0: Do you think it's strange that people are sort of trying to relive that time now?
1: Yeah, but I think people look back on the 90s and they like all the cheesy stuff, right? Yeah. Don't they? They like the cheesy kind of Yeah. Vanilla Ice and stuff yeah, like that. I mean, that's, that's not the '90s to me. I mean, Mud Honey was the '90s. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. You know what <laughs> I mean? and yeah, yeah, fun. yeah. <laughs> it's funny.
0: It is fun. I just I find it funny that um, so many bands are reforming now, and it's yeah. But I said su- yeah. I suppose, like I said before, it's different for a Regurgitator because you never officially broke up you just kept going yeah and you're just you know you're an ever moving machine
1: but it's funny you know i mean we get these we get you know i mean we went through this phase of playing out to young kids when we're young and then our crowd got older and then our crowd got smaller and now our crowds have been getting bigger again yeah and they're all these young people yeah. And I kind of say to, I say to these young people, at the, I was like, "What? Are, why are you here? <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> and they say, oh, you know, my mum and dad liked you. I've been listening to you since I was three and now I'm old enough to go out to a club and it's great. <laughs> was, it's, That's so cool. It's pretty cute. That, yeah. yeah. It's come around.
0: Have you had like um, parents with children at your gigs?
1: Oh, a lot of the parents stay home now. <laughs> oh, some of them, some of them come out. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, you oh, I will a, lick
0: your g- asshole. Good on you, Sky <laughs> <shit. laughs> Yeah. Um. Let's talk about writing with Quan. Okay. So you've been writing with Quan for a very long time.
1: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say writing with Quan, but
0: so you've but yeah. So Quan and I sort of spoke about this. You, okay. you def You write. Separately, yeah, um, but then you come together and, uh-huh. and you bring parts to each other's songs.
1: I look at it in the way that you know, I'll like the songs I sing, I write, and I'll yeah. kind of write the music for, and yeah, and the songs that Kwan sings, he does all of the music. But I mean, we kind of produce each other, it's yeah. a weird kind of relationship, and um, uh, and I think we'll kind of play each other all the demos we have, and then he'll decide which songs of mine. Is a regurgitator song, and then I'll decide which ones of his are. And they, they, you can kind of tell. Yeah, they've got to be a bit, you know. Yeah, they've
0: got to have the right. They've got to have this kind of
1: yeah weird thing about it. Yeah, Yeah. right, and only the
0: other person really knows.
1: Yeah, we kind of bounce off each other that way in a producer's way. So we've never really written together until um, I think it was last year. We started writing kids kind of punk songs. Yeah. And I just kind of, I got so excited, and I was, part of me was kind of bummed too because I kind of went, "Wow, well, we should write together more," because it was really fun. And yeah, you know, just kind of like, but I, I think we have different minds. I like writing together with people, and yeah, and, uh, you're
0: a people guy. I like writing it through, insular guy,
1: improvising and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Kwan was saying you, you could quite easily like bring twenty songs to the table, while he will bring like eight.
1: Yeah, I, I do. A, I write a lot of yeah. half-baked ideas.
0: <laughs> have you always been that prolific?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say prolific. Just got lots of stupid ideas for really. me.
0: <laughs> well, those are the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I
0: um I thought I'd share with you this example. So I um you know quite and I've been writing some yeah. rap stuff together. Yeah. And I went to Melbourne um a week and a half ago. Cool. Uh, to do some recording and writing and yeah, I'd spent like um. A few days writing like a a verse, yeah, um, for one of the songs, and so we would we, like we'd we'll go through the lyrics yeah. on the computer, and he just highlighted it and just deleted it. He just like this is pedestrian and delete
1: it. <laughs> oh, he can be so and harsh. <laughs> I was he, like, he can be so harsh. Come
0: on, <laughs> that took me fucking ages.
1: <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Did you ever have any experience like that where you just go, Oh, oh I think
1: <laughs> I think way back when I would take I'd get upset about it. I like, What do you mean you don't like that song? It's a good song. <laughs> but now I just kinda go, Oh, really? Okay. No, I I think the older you get, the more you just I don't know, I don't yeah, I don't I don't worry about it so much. But yeah.
0: I respect people um enough. Especially with Kwan or my brother Mirko as well. Yeah. If certain people tell me that I could do better, yeah. I believe them. Yeah. Um if it was just some schmuck off the street going, This is pedestrian delete, I'd probably be like, Well fuck you, bring like yeah. control yeah. Z. Yeah. Um yeah. But with him I was like, Yeah, you're right, I can probably do better. Um, but it was really funny that the yeah. the wording that he used was just like can this is be pedestrian. pretty <laughs> blunt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> At times it can be a bit, what the is going on? But, yeah. but you must
0: be super used yeah. to that kind of stuff. Oh, know? yeah, yes, yes. Like or brothers. you just
1: go and do it with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> take, why don't you just take your verse and go and play with someone and take my ball and play with some other guy.
0: <laughs> so speaking of that, you've had quite a few side projects over okay. the years. yeah, yeah. You've had, um, you had the Stalkers. Yep. You had... Uh, jump to light speed. Yep. Um. You had, you played an ouch my face. Yeah, that was a bunch. fun. Yeah, yeah. Um. And now you've started doing some solo stuff that's mm-hmm. completely stripped back, sort of acoustic. Yeah. and Voice. Yeah. Um. Why did you decide to do something completely? I don't acoustic? know. Well,
1: I think you know. Well, if you're young, if you're a young person like you are in the early 90s or something. And all the music on the radio is all, you know, pretty heavy and that's the stuff that turns you on and everyone seems to want to make that stuff. And I guess you just kind of get thrown into this kind of melee. But um, with the solo thing, I think it's something that I always wanted to do was... I like the idea... Well, I think it also stemmed from the fact that um, I liked... uh, making music like I love the process of making a song and then recording it and putting it out and going oh, oh you know putting a record together it's pretty it's pretty fun so and and when you make songs by yourself you, it's uh I get this thing called drum fatigue like mm. if you play with rock a loud rock drummer for you know four or five hours you start to get pretty tired and yeah. uh, it can kind of wear you down a bit, but if you're playing quietly with a, a acoustic or an electric guitar, you could play all day and all night yeah. and you don't get that. And then I kind of like the whole self-reliance thing of if if I wanted to write a song, I don't have to book a practice room. I don't have to call up these four guys and make sure we can, you know, tee up a time to all meet. If you're just doing it by yourself, it's, it's just all self-reliant. And then I kind of... So that was the whole big thing of it. And then the other thing is that I kind of like uh, – I like writing lyrics as well. So I kind of like to um, try and challenge myself and write, write words. So um, I think that's with the solo thing is where – like the musicianship of my solo stuff is kind of limited but I like – to Try and spend a lot of time writing lyrics, yeah. And you know, if you show them, the, you can't, you don't have anyone like Quan to show them to, and he doesn't go, <laughs> It's pedestrian, delete, <laughs> you know, you can just go, Hey, yeah, that I think that's okay, I'll put yeah. it out. And then, you know, I don't know,
0: <laughs> and a lot of your your solo stuff. So, you've you've just um, you've done two solo albums now, yeah, one's, Second just one's coming about, out, yeah, 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 um. So the first one I listened to a bunch and that one is quite political and environmental. Um, is is that stuff that that you feel like you can finally sort of write about in a in a more meaningful way or, or a more like... Um,
1: a lot of stuff is knee-jerk reaction and that yeah. was, you know, Tony Abbott came into power sure. and he had, you know, was jumping on the news making those broad s- statements like, you know, Indigenous people who want to live on their their native land is a lifestyle choice and, you know, this kind of really yeah. disrespectful stuff that just pissed me off and yeah. it just sort of will come out subconsciously. Yeah, Like my new record's called Strange Tales of Drugs and Lost Love. Is cu- It's about – because I just moved back to Brisbane at the start of last year after being away for close to 20 years and just coming back and moving through the city will kind of brought back all of these really um, uh, old stories about yeah. – um, girls that I kind of loved and, um, drugs that I took and got myself into really kind of scary situations and stuff. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's not kind of intentional. It just sort of comes out that way, I think.
0: Yeah. That's cool. You're having your album launch soon, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. In
1: September. Yeah. The busy yeah, at the powerhouse. At the yeah. powerhouse. Yeah
0: um and we're just about to do another velvet underground and Nintendo yeah show together which that'd i'm be really fun. excited about yeah that'd be great was that your idea
1: Oh, yeah, well, uh, Paul, week? yeah, because um, our manager, he books some music for the NGV at in, uh, in the gallery in Melbourne and he just said, called me up on a phone conversation and said, oh, you know, I'm kind of booking bands for this Warhol, Ai Weiwei art show. If you were going to do some music for that show, what would you do? And I just said, I will do the Velvet Underground record and we'll get some classical Chinese musicians to play yeah. with us. And we'll get Saya because she's, you know, she's our Nico. <laughs> and um, yeah, and he said, "Oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool." And asked them, and they went, "Yeah, that sounds pretty cool."
0: I yeah. <laughs> I have to sort of say that what playing with Mindy, who plays the Chinese harp, that I can yeah, never pronounce Gu-sheng. Gu-sheng, Yeah. Um has been such a special experience. Oh, she's, she's yeah, so great.
1: You know, I mean, if you play with someone who's like a really serious musician yeah. who can like she's classically trained on that thing, yeah. you know, and it's it's um yeah, it's I quite mean special. If, yeah.
0: It's rare. I don't normally get to play with classical musicians. Oh, so I know, it's, yeah. It's quite a special experience. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's I'm cool. looking forward to doing that show again. Yeah, she's lovely. Um and you have to sing your song about heroin, which has a million lyrics. Do yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> I
1: do. I remember those. Do you? I did a Leonard Cohen gig the other night. Oh. Oh, my God. Why did I do that? He <laughs> had like very wordy. He had, like, 12 verses or something. <laughs> His song went for eight and a half minutes.
0: I think he wrote I, – I read somewhere recently hard. that – um I think that song, Hallelujah, had, like, more than 50 verses when he first wrote it. Yeah, I
1: heard that and he – trimmed that's it all down crazy. didn't you yeah
0: so when we played those velvet underground shows we've done a few of those shows yeah um i noticed you would like casually drop between songs that you were the only person in the band who's tried heroin
1: yeah i probably should stop that that's not right <laughs> very... <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't know we came to pick who's gonna do what i was gonna kind of, yeah, yeah. But, totally. uh, but i have I, I think yeah i'm the only person in the band yeah I guess you know. I mean, I think it's important when you sing a song that you can sing it with conviction, and if you can find something in the song that you can um, relate to yourself, it gives you kind of a bit more, a bit more conviction Mm. when you perform it. It helps, I think. If you're going to do a cover song, yeah, yeah, I think it helps. Did
0: you feel like you could relate to that one?
1: Mm. I I mean, I, I used to be quite fond of heroin. Long Did time you ago. get
0: yourself into pretty bad trouble with it or you were Well, it was kind of sure? around the
1: time when Martin and Quan were fighting a yeah. lot. Yeah, and then I was I was kind of really in love with this woman and because I was on tour, you know three quarters of the year. Yeah, I just wasn't there and she went to art school and met some guy from New York and moved to New York and right. left me. and I was just really bummed out and then Quan and Martin were fighting. Yeah, we had all this success, but I just was at my lowest, really and i just felt you know i'd worked for so long to try and you know make something of being a, something out of being a musician and finally i'm here and it's i'm completely miserable because yeah. to, to get to that point you need to make you need to sacrifice something in your life and i did lose this person i really cared about and yeah. then i kind of just fell into it yeah Wow. For, for a while and then – but I think after a while you just kind of go um, – I don't – I used to say it's an excuse to be useless yeah. to take it because you just kind of – if you if you can't interact with the world, you do it to drop out and then I kind of started to get the urge to interact with the world again so it wasn't – you know, I didn't get addicted so to speak. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, I didn't fall into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: I was reading a book the other day um, about a lady that was addicted to heroin, and she just kept going back to it. Like she would pull herself out of it for, for a few years, and it's then it's kind of hard to, yeah. So you, yeah, you're really lucky. To pull well, I'm to lucky.
1: It. I mean, I haven't had, had it for twenty years, fifteen years, probably. Yeah,
0: Hold yeah. on. Yeah. Um, how have your priorities changed over the years? in regards to music?
1: I think it still holds a big priority in my life. I think it's important. I think socially for me, music is important. Yeah. I think you need to interact with friends. I think it's, you know, if you it's one thing to work all day, but if you work all day and you don't sort of make connections with people, um, you feel disconnected from the Mm. world, I think. So the way I feel like I connect with people, like I said before, it's, like playing music and improvising with people it's like a language and it's like a language that isn't gossipy and it's not judgmental and it's you know it's not even, it's not really funny or maybe sometimes it is i don't know <laughs> but but you know i if I, I said that to my wife yesterday i was like um oh, i haven't had a jam with anyone for a couple of weeks i feel weird yeah cuz i i liked at least once a week to go to a rehearsal space with people plug in some loud noise and have a chat. Yeah. And a lot of blokes will go down the pub, watch the footy and sure. drink beer. But me, I'd just like to go to a rehearsal space and, and just make some noise together. Yeah. And I think that's a way of communicating that's very healthy and you feel in touch with the world. I mean, I think that's my way of feeling connected to the world. Yeah. Is through this and I feel That's like so if nice. I if I don't have it, I feel strange.
0: Do you have people that you're jamming with currently? Yeah, yeah.
1: I've got some friends from high school who oh, I'm jamming cute. with now. <laughs> 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 it's really good. Both the guys haven't been in a band for 15 years, wow. and it's I That's I, I, awesome. I really like it. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's really nice.
0: Um. So, as far as priorities go, so you've got two teenage daughters. I do. Yeah. That are living with you. Yeah, you're just about to grow your family. Yeah, again. That's right. Um, do you feel like kids have changed the way that you think about life and? Of music? course,
1: yeah, yeah. Kids give you hope. I think for me, kids, kids give me hope and um, give me something to. Uh, like I think they kind of make me a better man. I yeah. uh, make me a man more than a boy. Yeah. I think before. Like if you if you don't have to be responsible, then you can, you know, you can be a dickhead. Yeah. And so I was just being a dickhead pretty much. So yeah. I think it was good for me that I did have them. I don't think everybody's like that, but I think for me, I think it helped me, yeah, yeah, because I think it gave me that responsibility that, you know, knocked me into line and I think it's good to have that, you know, if you've got an addictive personality or yeah. a... A bit, um, yeah.
0: Do you see your younger self and your daughters?
1: Ah, uh, I a little, but I think they're much smarter and they're much more responsible.
0: They're pretty cool,
1: and they're not sneaky and <laughs> naughty like I was. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, you know, I, 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 they surprise me. I think it's cool. Yeah, they're supposed to be better than you. That's the whole point. Yeah, they're supposed to be better, so. <laughs> They are better, yeah. That's
0: really nice to hear you say that. Yeah. They are pretty cute and awesome. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty proud.
0: Ben, I'd really like you to tell me your strangest uh, show story okay. or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician.
1: Okay. Can I tell two little ones? You can tell maybe?
0: however many you like.
1: Well, okay. Well, I think probably the strangest circumstance that I got myself in was when uh, I think you we Pangia had been together for a little while. We we're knocking around with bands like the Dream Killers, and um, Four Triple Z was doing this thing where they were doing concerts at the maximum security prison at Wacol. and so and so. Uh, yeah, we we got invited to go and play, and I think I was nineteen or twenty. And I was a late bloomer. So I, you know, when I was 19, I looked like I was probably 14 or <laughs> something. Like, I just looked like, a, you know, a little kid, you know. And we went and then the other band that we were supposed to play with, I think it was Crud or someone, uh, pulled out and then they didn't do it. So we went to this, you know, way Hole Maximum Security Prison where all the worst criminals are, all the murderers and the rapists. Yes. And, and I pulled up in the car park and I was there early, thank God, and um, I was a little bit bored, and I was like, I'll just check, look in my guitar case to make sure there's nothing in it, because they're going to search us when we go in there, and I found like half a smoke joint in there, and I'm glad I did that, and so I got rid of that, and then went through, and the band turned up, and we went in, and I was 19, but. Jim and Dave were still in high school so they were still 15, 16, yeah. 16, 17 or something. So those kids minors, yeah. Yeah. Minors. So we went into this jail and they checked through, went through everything and they gave us these little kind of um impermanent like UV tattoos to make to show that we were guests and we okay. went into the gymnasium where the uh they had all these guards with shotguns behind like bulletproof glass, but mm. they were down the end of the gym and we were just kind of mingling with about 300 prisoners. Wow. And uh, <laughs> the first, the, the main comment I can remember from that gig was this guy walking up to me, uh, he looks rough as, and he goes, did your mum know where you are? <laughs> But uh, it was really <laughs> scary. Yeah, it was really scary. And then we played this gig and then there was all these guys that were all coupled off. Yeah. So there was these really big tough guys, but they were all kind of with their boyfriends and they're oh. kind of with their arm around each other, yeah. kind of watching the band and we played. But I met this Aboriginal guy and he, he, he told me before we played that he hadn't played in a band or jammed with a band um, since the early, since the late 70s. Because wow. he was in there for murder, for murdering his wife and his lover, because he came home and found them. He told me, and Right. <laughs> yeah, really crazy, you know. So this is these guys are telling me how they'd murdered people, and oh. then you've got to go up and stand there and play in front of them. Oh. But then they're kind of leering at you, but yes. they're with their couples. They're kind of, wow, they kind bizarre. of, they're kind of like feeling each other and stuff. <laughs> it's kind feels of, really weird. <laughs> And so we're kind of doing our thing. But then I said to this guy, this fella, I said, do you want to come up and play? And then uh, gave him the guitar and we did like a blues jam. Yeah. And you should have seen this guy's face. He was like the happiest. Stoked. Yeah, because he hadn't jammed with a band in like close to 20 years. That's so nice. So that was a really nice moment. And then after that, one of the prisoners taught me how to make a tattoo gun. (laughs) Uh, And then I took it home and showed my friend who's now this really famous tattooist who lives in uh, Copenhagen. Wow. um, uh, Yeah, and the prisoners were actually really nice to us, even though they were kind of known for being bad people. And, you know, there's fields of razor wire. You can see the mountains in the distance and you can see... But it's far away. Yeah. What is in your direct vicinity is concrete and barbed wire. It was pretty confronting.
0: Yeah. But I suppose um, music brings people together in those circumstances too. Yeah, probably. It might have been completely different with music around.
1: Sweeten the deal on our Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's what Johnny Cash did, right?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, but I mean he was probably more of a badass than we were just like little (laughs) children. What are these kids doing here? But,
0: yeah. That's a really crazy story.
1: Yeah, playing in a maximum security prison when you're a kid's not yeah, good. Yeah, not ideal. No. <laughs> I've never been more terrified, let's say that. That was the most <laughs> terrified I think I've ever been. Yeah. What's
0: your other story?
1: This other story, um, I think is just funny. I think it's probably the most funny story. But we're on the Big Day Out tour. And when you tour with the Big Day Out, every time you hit Adelaide, you know, a lot of the main shows have been done so the promoters feel like they can have a bit of a party and everybody stays in the Hilton in Adelaide. And um, I was a big fan of Jane's Addiction when I was a kid and we played the 1996 Big Day Out, which is our first big day out. And Rage Against the Machine was on there and bat, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and Pornos for Pyros yeah. and Jesus Lizard. Wow. A bunch of really cool, great bands.
0: Yeah, super it was, 90s.
1: It was pretty exciting. Yeah. At the, it was just a Dirty Three and it was right. just mind-blowing. It was pretty exciting. I think it's the most excited I've ever been on yeah. tour. And so we hit Adelaide Hilton. And because Perry Farrell, I'm such a fan of Jane's Addiction, I'd see him around I'm like, oh, hi, Perry. And he go, oh, hi. <laughs> and, and, it, and he walked past me, I think it was in, in Melbourne, and just because he recognised me or something, he said, I'm throwing a party in Adelaide. Do you want to come to my party? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'd love to go to your party. And then I went, I went to his party after the show and we're sitting in his suite like he had a big kind of penthouse suite at the top of the Hilton yeah. and you know Mike Watt from the Minutemen who was yeah. a, I was a big fan of that the band hero. he's sitting on the couch playing bass and he's playing through this little amp and he's just carried his bass everywhere and would play everywhere he went bizarre and he was just i just and he, i sat down next to him and there's some bongos <laughs> and he's we start playing take a walk on the wild side by <laughs> you know Velvet Underground, I'm playing the drums going, do, 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 do. And he's doing the the lyrics. Amazing. And I just went, I can't believe I'm jamming with Mike (laughs) What? This is, I've got a photo of it somewhere. Do you? I'd love to see that. And then Perry, and then, you know, all the bad seeds come in and Jesus Lizard come in and David Yao is just wearing a pair of jeans and cowboy boots. Great. the whole tour. I didn't see him with a shirt and a bottle of whiskey. That's all he had. And they walk in, Rage Against the Machine walk in, and then Perry's like puts flowers everywhere and incense and candles and turns off to light. Like, he goes, hey, everybody. I read later, like in his book, Whores, that he was just completely off his head on PCP the whole tour. All right. So I don't think he remembers any of this. <laughs> But he's like, I'm going to play you guys some songs of my new album. <laughs> and they sit in this kind of like love circle. And all the bad seeds are sitting on the couch and Jesus Lizard and Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> and they're watching him play all this like hippie, it was Good God's Urge record, where it's all this kind of really hippie kind of love in, love circle, kumbaya jam out. Oh, good. And they just start playing la 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 la, uh, you <laughs> know, and and then you know you can see like David yells kind of go what's this shit, <laughs> and then and then I hear this sound, and it sounds like a fucking JCM eight hundred Marshall stack amplifiers feeding back, like, <laughs> and I was like, where is that sound coming from? I can't. hear see any amplifiers in the room. It sounded like someone's shoved a microphone into a PA system. Yeah. And I went, and then all of the Porno for Pyros guys stopped playing and they look up and Blixer Begald from (laughs) Einstein Neubom, who's the guitarist in The Bad Seeds, his mouth is open and it's like the sound of hell is coming (laughs) out of his mouth. And I just went, how is he making that sound? And you know, I think all the candles blew out and then, you know, it's just killed the loving party after that. That
0: sounds so great.
1: And then they just stopped. They couldn't they <laughs> couldn't they couldn't keep playing. <laughs> they just went, Yeah, we can't this is too awkward.
0: What was Mike Watt doing?
1: Oh yeah, I don't know. I think he was he was I think Kid he bailed. got up, took his caftan off and <laughs> kinda of like put his flanny back on. <laughs>
0: I love the imagery of you playing bongos going, doo, 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 oh, that doo, doo, was, um.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably my, I'm a big fan of that guy's music, Fire Hose yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Did
0: you always love like Minutemen? And stuff? I do, yeah, I Like, yeah. I lo-
1: really like that band. They're really yeah. good. Yeah.
0: That's so funny. Yeah, that's so a that's a great story. Yeah, it's
1: probably better than the prison one, maybe. No, they're,
0: they're, Those are both excellent stories. Okay. <laughs> and stories I haven't heard before. I haven't you really heard better. that one? Oh, okay. No. Okay. Great. I love it. when you, oh, I love when you've spent years in the, the vicinity, like car, hotel room, backstage with someone and there are still stories that you don't know There's about. still
1: stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was seeing this girl in Adelaide too and then um, was it Zach Dealer Rocker came up oh, yeah. and just said, oh, I'm going to be with that girl now, okay? <laughs> I just went, like, okay. Okay. <laughs> It was really weird. Did,
0: and was he with her? Yeah. He just took
1: her. He just kind of walked up and weird. took her. It was really weird. <laughs> I wasn't even dating her. as She kind was just kind of. Rock and roll. Yeah. That's kind pretty of cool. creep and roll. Yeah. <laughs> Drop, creep and roll, Zach. Drop, creep and roll.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Yeah. That's, thank you. It's really fun having you here.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I hope I haven't talked too much.
0: No, it's perfect. You have to talk a lot. That's the deal.
1: Wow. My first (laughs) podcast.
0: Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Saya. Bye.
1: Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye.